God is good. My spiritual mother, I spoke about her December 5th, I believe, the last time that I preached. And 15 days later, she passed away. She transitioned from this earth into heaven. She was 98 years old, was going to be 99 this Valentine's Day in, in two months, a month and a half. And she lived a full life. She lived life to the full. She affected many people. Jen wrote me a little text and she said, I was so grateful to be able to attend Mickey's memorial service. I don't know where I would be right now if not for you and our church and all of those who are your spiritual children is a result of what she also put in you. And so the legacies go on. See, what you put in others, you give away. You can't give away what you don't have. And what you put on is what you pass on. And what you put in you is what you give out of you. You know, at age 24, when I first got saved in her Bible study, I, I didn't know Jesus. I, I, I thought, you know, I didn't have a Bible. And I, I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know him personally, and I didn't know his power. I didn't know God's power. I was just hoping one day, if I was good enough, maybe, maybe I would get to heaven. I had no clue what the Bible taught about the good news of the gospel. But at age 24, little did I know that at age 70, I would be doing her memorial service, officiating it. But it was a life well-lived. And so that's what we want to aspire to. We want our lives to make a difference. See, we need to be difference makers. Easy used to say, I don't want you sitting in my church using our toilet paper and wearing out the fabric on our seats if you're not going to do anything for God and so for the kingdom. And, and he, he was just outrageous. And he would stand up here and people would just couldn't wait to see what the next outrageous thing he was going to say. Now, this morning, he's not here. He's at age 90. You know, he could go to the gym, and we had him go into a trainer twice a week. But trainers are a little bit expensive, and we figured out that if he just went to the physical therapist, Medicare would pay for it, and he gave him the same exercises. And so he started going to his physical therapist. But his physical therapist was out of the country during the holidays, and he had a new guy, and the new guy gave him some new exercises. Well, at age 90, there's some things maybe you shouldn't push, and especially with my husband. And so he goes, can you do this? And he goes, yeah. Can you do more? And he goes, yep. He goes, how many can you do? Well, easy just went for it. But when he went to sleep and woke up the next morning, he couldn't walk. <laughs> and so we went back and the guy said, I didn't realize he said he could do it. I go, you don't know him. You can't try to, you don't challenge this man. And, and so he is recovering from an inflamed SI joint and he's walking on a walker, but it's just temporary. And last night he told me, he goes, I just think I need to exercise more. I go, no, exercise got you into this. And so it's not gonna get you out, not right now. I said, just rest. The, the guy said, rest, can you do that? So he's at home resting, but pray for him. And you know, for years, I never ever liked to do the first sermon of the year, not the January beginning sermon. And it's interesting that we can skip for two weeks and still have church, right? It, church, God goes on. But, you know, it felt always to me, I guess, like people expected this motivational pep talk, this inspirational thing, and you had to, like, come up for the, you know, for the occasion. And people wanted some kind of word that was going to put them on a whole new trajectory for their life, you know, some little catchphrase. But last year, I actually did preach the message on January 2nd, and we talked in depth about time. And I told you I wasn't going to talk then about resolutions because sometimes what we don't need is a resolution because I didn't make any. We need a revelation because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You can make resolutions all day and give lip service, but if you're not thinking right, you're not going to carry that thing out. And so I said that day, we don't need a resolution. We need a revelation. And so it's interesting that last night I was looking at some of Easy's old sermon notes. And I'll tell you why in a minute. He had preached in January of 2007 that statistics show that 80% of people's New Year's resolutions are broken by February. By February. 
I heard somebody say, I broke my New Year's resolution of being a nicer person. But in my defense, it's because some of y'all are really annoying. But, <laughs> but, you know, there was this story I kept thinking about last night that Izzy used to tell every once in a while. And if you pastor for 30 years, you don't just say something once. You say it more than once. So yesterday evening, I said, honey, you used to tell this story about two guys in a plane. Where, where is that story? Where'd you read that story? Where'd you, where'd you get that story from? And he goes, honey, I didn't read that story anywhere. He goes, I was one of the two guys. I was there. And I go, well, tell it to me. It took a long time. He told me a lot of details. If he worries about his memory, he doesn't need to because he told me everything that went on during this story. And he goes, there was a hunting camp between San Antonio and Pearsall, Texas. And he happened to tell me that Laredo is about 100 miles to the south of Pearsall, and San Antonio is about 50 miles to the north. And there was this guy that Easy hunted with, who was a pilot, and he owned a plane. But there was something about he wasn't fully licensed or his certification wasn't up to date, and so it was illegal for him to really be flying, but Easy wasn't worried about that. This is before he was safe, and, um, but he's always sort of been like this. And so the guy would get the plane, and he'd pick up Easy on the Caterpillar Tractor private landing strip so that they could circumvent the airport runway protocols, and they could, God could actually take off so they could hunt. So then they'd land the plane on the highway, and they'd go right to the hunting lease that was off the side of the road. Now, y'all don't hear stories like this anymore because he's not preaching, but we used to get these regularly, and they were true. They weren't evangelistic. They were true. And so when they killed a deer, the pilot said, you know, we need to get this deer home. And he said, let's just let's go ahead and gut it, and let's then tie it spread out, uh, stretched out underneath the wing structure. Because that's the only way we can get this deer out of here. And when they tried to take off, though, the deer would open up and catch air and pull the plane back down. And after that happened two or three times, they wised up and they got out and they turned the deer around. So the open part was up against the plane. It wouldn't catch the air and the wind wouldn't catch the deer. And then they were actually able to take off and they got the deer home. And he stopped. And I said, wait, there's this punchline. There's this really good punchline. And he goes, there's no punchline. I go, no, I've heard you tell there's like this punchline. He goes, no, it's just what happened. I said, I thought there was a punchline. And he goes, well, let me make one up. Sometimes you got to change how you're doing stuff to get better results. And so 45 minutes later, I walked in the bedroom and he goes, honey, there was another story I told about two guys and a deer. I think that's the one you're thinking of. I said, tell it to me. And he said, well, two guys were in a jungle. It was a jungle area, and they had to fly out of some dense brush. And they had to make it over this mountain area, this mountainous area. And they were confident, though, that if they could get enough altitude, they could do it. So they flew for a bit, but then, bam, they didn't get high enough, and they flew straight into a whole area of trees and crashed the plane. They were a little bit dazed, but they got out, and they were grateful they were both okay. So a year later, they were back in that same area, but they had a brand new plane. And so they thought, you know, we're here. We know we need to get some altitude, but with our new plane, we're going to get out fine. So they took off, and within a short time, bam, they crashed into a bunch of trees again. The, the plane was wrecked. They crawled out. They looked around, and one guy said to the other, where are we? Another guy answered, about the same place we were last year. How many of us are at the same place we were last year? 
<laughs> how many of us set some goals and resolutions and we're nowhere different than we were last year? See, how many of us are still at the same place? We crashed somewhere along the way, and we're still where we were last year. So if you haven't figured out how to change the way you're doing things to get different results, and you find you're about the same place you were last year, here's some good news. <laughs> we're in January, new beginning. It's because we do operate in time, like Alan said. This is the 8th of January, in fact. 8 is the biblical number for new beginnings. So if you need a new beginning in any area of your life, today is a doubly good time for that. Do you notice how because we do this thing as humans, we put things off? And then today becomes yesterday. And then by tomorrow, we still have it started doing what we said. But thank God there is no end to new beginnings. When I was looking through Easy's notes, I saw that he said this thing, it's not about how we begin, it's about how we finish. It's not about how we begin. A lot of people begin, but do they finish? I began the year 2022 going to Crunch Gym last year in January. I started strong. I became diligent in my working out, and I was there twice a week for sure. I was physically getting much stronger. At home, I could carry things up and down the steps with a lot more ease because I was a lot stronger. Alicia would go, do you need that? i go, no, I got it. You know, I, I had biceps now. I could do this thing. But I got real busy in August, and, but I kept pushing to make my workouts. And then in September, I skipped one or two. And by October, I tapered off. And in November and December, I didn't even get to the gym. So it's not always how you start. It's how you finish. And while I was looking through Easy's notes to find the deer story, which I never found, but he ended up telling me two of, I saw where he wrote this. He said, anyone can start a race, but you need coaching, wisdom, heart, and discipline to finish it. And so I just went ahead and decided I'd just pick up a bunch of his notes. And there's his notes. Some of you recognize that big print that he used to print in. He would just underline stuff. And I just picked up several pages, and I'm going to read them today. Because if you need an inspirational, motivational talk, this man did them every week. Every single week, we got something. And so I'm just going to read some of his notes. And so if it's not real fluid today, that's okay. We'll get somewhere. He wrote, back in some year, in 1968 Mexico City Olympic Stadium, a man from Ethiopia had won the 26-mile, 385-year event, looking as fresh as he started. But an hour later, people were leaving the stadium to go home, and they heard the sound of sirens and police whistles. A lone figure, number 36, from Tanzania entered the stadium. His name was John Akwari. He was the last man to finish the marathon. He had fallen early in the race and hurt his knee and his ankle, and he was bloody and bruised, yet people stood and applauded him. After crossing the finish line, he walked slowly off the field, injured and hurt, but walking. Eighteen of the 75 runners had already pulled out of the race. It was a difficult race. The air was thin in Mexico City. They weren't used to it. The conditions were not excellent. But when a reporter asked John Akwari, why did you continue after you were so badly injured? John looked at them and said, I never thought of stopping. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start a race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish it. Every Christian, Easy said, is commissioned to run the race that is set before them. Hebrews 11.2, he always put faith in there. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not saying. 11.1, 11.2, but by it the elders obtained a good report, a good testimony. He said, winning is not about competing, it's about completing. It's not about how fast, it's about how can you finish. He said, my two favorite sports are football and boxing. 
When I used to work out with Tim Hallmark, Evander Holyfield's trainer, and also with Evander, the four-time heavyweight champion of the world, who can say that? He said, I would get Evander to come and speak for Generation Jesus and, and for Love You Houston, my men's meeting. One night, we all went to Daryl Bergman's house. Daryl was here in the early days of the Shepherd's Church. And he said, we went to Daryl Bergman's house to watch Evander fight Riddick Bowe. As far as I know, Lena at that time had never seen a boxing match on TV or otherwise. Evander was going to come speak at Love You Houston the next week, but he was going to first fight Riddick Bowe. Evander had knocked him down, and Lena's watching the TV, and he just needed to hit him one more time to win the fight. And Lena jumps on the sofa and starts screaming, hit him, Evander, hit him. And everyone turned to look at Lena, but Evander never hit him. And we couldn't understand why. And so when I saw Evander the next week, I said, what happened, Holy? Why didn't you hit him? He goes, it was like there was a claw in my brain. I'd had hepatitis, and I knew I was a little bit weak. And this thought kept telling me, there's no way you're going to win. There's no way you're going to win. And so if you have a claw in your brain, he says, you won't win either. Get the claw out of your brain. He said, Philippians 4, 10 says, my child, listen to me. Do as I say, not the voice in your head that tells you what you can and cannot do. Not the voice in your head that tries to condemn you. Listen to what I say, and you will have a long and a good life. I will teach you wisdom's ways, and I will lead you in straight paths. And when you walk, you won't be held back. When you run, you won't stumble. This is my husband's sermon. He said, discipline is essential to destiny. Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow character and you reap a destiny. Then he put Ralph Waldo Emerson. I didn't know easy quoted poets. But there's some good advice. He said, who you are right now is not necessarily an indication of who you were born to be. Holyfield used to tell me excuses are hindrances to success. Easy said, there's two seasons in life. And this is the end of one sermon. I just picked a bunch of pages. I'm just going to read them. He said that they're the same. Because what's in you comes out. He said, there is a season when time and energy work for you. And there is a season when time and energy work against you. Don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. Time and energy might be working for you today, but the day will come when they might not. Do it now. No procrastinating. No excuses. 2 Corinthians 3.18, another sermon. God will take us from glory to glory. 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. We have all been given a race to run. Your goal is to focus on that race. You were not only born to run, but you were born again so you could win. He said, recognize your value. Whether it seems like it or not, you matter. You matter to God. You matter to history. You matter to the world. No matter how young you girls are, you matter. God is validating you. You shouldn't need extra validation, but the world tries to take your validation away. So God says, let me come in and circumvent and supersede the words that the world is trying to put on you. And so we need to do that every day. The world is trying to put words on us and thoughts in our minds. And as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so we've got to keep putting the word of God in us so we know what God says about us so we can actually win the race that he's put before us. He said, you matter to God, you matter to history, you matter to the world, you matter for the purpose you were created to serve, and you are needed by people around you. You have tremendous value. Once you label yourself with a negative term, you devalue yourself. If you call yourself too poor, too short, not smart enough, ugly, divorced, addicted, lazy, procrastinator, not morning person, underachiever, not a reader, poor leader, old, arthritic, and sick, you start buying into that. 
and you create a destiny that you were not desired, designed for. I'm still reading his notes. Your worth can't be counted in power, fame, fortune, your car, your house, what did or didn't you do yesterday. It is based solely on the value of your uniqueness and all your incredible potential. Look at a baby. When a baby is born, that child holds no job. It has no possessions, yet its value is indescribable. Its potential is limitless. Here is the great part that most people don't realize. The value and potential you were born with, it does not leave. It does not depreciate as you age. Because no matter where you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how you feel your life is right now, the eternal truth is that your contribution still has the potential to be priceless. He goes, the Olympic ski jump is fascinating to watch. Several stories high, length of a football field, high rate speed, nothing under you but skis and snow, and everyone is watching that person do that. Everyone has one thing that they are better at maybe than the next 10,000. Focus on what you're good at. Because a frog, if he needs to work on his leaping, not try to fly. Strengthen your strength. Do what you can do. You have a higher purpose. Something you know is right that adds value to the world and something that glorifies God and you are on an assignment from God to do that very thing. As an instrument of God, he's by your side. He's helping you to win because your life is interwoven with his purposes. You can become a person of favor. Easy has decided he has favor everywhere he goes, and he does. He goes to Minuti Coffee Shop. Who does this? And he just sits down. He doesn't go to the counter. He doesn't order. They bring him a bowl that has his name on it with his oatmeal in it, and they know just what his coffee is and bring it to the chair that he's sitting in. And some guys were watching, and they go, how do I get service like that? <laughs> he went for years. He decided the bowls weren't big enough when he ordered oatmeal, and they bought four bowls. The four guys that he went with, they put their name on the bottom. They go, keep these here. These are the bowls we want. It worked. But he's done all kind of things in that coffee shop to enrich people's lives. One of the waitresses, her little boy, didn't talk, and Easy prayed for him, and he began to speak. There was another woman that was a regular customer, and she had tape down her leg, and he kept watching and saying, what's wrong with her? What's wrong with her? And he talked to her. She was one of the girls' volleyball coaches. At one of the high schools, he goes, I can pray for you, and that pain's going to be gone. She, she said, I can't even sleep at night, the pain's so bad lately. And he prayed for her. The next day, she walked in without the tape. She said, the pain is gone, and all the customers heard it. He witnessed to the, the owner of Minuti's coffee shop wife because she was not a Christian. He began to share the gospel with her. Everywhere he goes, he makes a deposit. See, you've got to make your life count for something, but you've got to decide first, you count. You matter. You can become a person of favor everywhere you go with people you meet. They will make exceptions to rules just for you. <laughs> this has come true. He goes, you will be a difficult person to upset, depress, or stop. Fear, this must be from another sermon. Fear is one of the most severe forms of oppression you can face. Fear is Satan's best friend. Fear stops what God is trying to do, and it tries to stop you dead in its tracks. Fear never started a successful business. Fear never did anything heroic. Fear never won a championship. Fear of failure, fear of how hard it will be if you get started. Fear you will end up losing something. Fear will keep you out of the game. Fear has a lot of side effects. Laziness, excuses, procrastinating, all waiting for all the questions to be answered, which never is going to happen. Fear. Fear is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Fear will cause you to blow the interview. 
not get the job because you didn't have any confidence. Fear of rejection from a woman that you're attracted to prevents you from asking her out, so you remain single. <laughs> uh, <laughs> winning 101 is as simple as this. You can't win if you don't get off the bench. God tells us dozens and dozens of times, do not fear. Fear, Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you with my right hand. Joshua 1.6 through 9, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey my laws the ser my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from them to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous. You will be successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you. Have courage to get into the game. And he says, God gave us a free ticket to come to church, to shout, to sing, to praise, to worship, to see signs, wonders, miracles, healings, get jobs, better jobs, figure out ways to get a home, new automobiles, finding money. He just wants to do all this for you because he loves you. We as a church need to get back to our first love and not take God for granted. He goes, some of you signed up to pray. How much are you praying? <laughs> One time he told Cammie, who's on our preaching team, Cammie, quit diddling around and get back in the Word and things will straighten out. Cammie got scared, did it, everything straightened out. Like, he would just say what he felt like saying. But you know what? Truth works. And see, some of us are just so busy tiptoeing around, don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Like, politically correct does not work. You cannot train leaders with political correctness. It does not work. You cannot strengthen people's strength trying to, to not offend anyone. They just have to get over their offenses and buck up and get going. And so tell God you love him, Easy said. I could go on and on. He has notes on top of notes. I could just pull pages at random. And in it, you would find encouragement. In it, you would find Bible stories come to life. But, you know, he's lived a long life, and he's influenced a lot of people, just like my spiritual mother. Make your life count for something. See, start where you are with what you've got and do what you can. I ended the first sermon of 2022 saying, commit your time to God. Submit your time to God. Ask God to direct your time and put your times in his hands. I'm not one of those motivational, and Easy preached all this before Joel Osteen was preaching, y'all, okay? <laughs> this is just how he talked. This is how he walked. He would go, Let's remodel the church. And next week, all the ceiling tiles would be out and boys would be on ladders and we raise the ceiling. Like he just decided we're going to do a thing and we do it. We didn't even have permits. We just put black plastic over the windows. But anyway, <laughs> you need to keep yourself motivated to do all that God has called you to do because the world will try to suck the motivation right out of you. Now more than ever. But he didn't give me the motivational sermon. But I stole it from easy, but he did give me two words. And I don't know where we're going with this, and I'm hoping to have more on it, but I didn't have any more, so I'm just giving you what I've got. See, sometimes you just give what you've got. There are people who go, I just have one word. I go, start with the one word you've got. <laughs> he told me stewarding abundance. That's a unique phraseology, stewarding abundance. 
Stewarding. Stewarding, we start to think, ooh, i got to take care of this. Now, a steward is really just one who manages someone else's resources, okay? And I, I can tell you on another day, the origin of that word is really from a pigsty, sty ward. You warded the pigs for the owner of the pigs. But anyway, when you steward something, you're going to manage it well so that you can get a return on your investment. You're going to take good care of it. You're going to make the most, so, you know, you make the most of what you've got because it's somebody else's. Let me be clear. Everything you've got does not belong to you. God gave it to you. God gave you the breath in your lungs. God gave you the air that you breathe. God gave you the money that you have. He gave you the job. He gave you the people around you. And so we can't say, oh, this is mine and I'm going to hold on to it. We need to steward in abundance. See, sometimes when we're, we don't have anything, we're gonna, we got to be real careful. I've been there. I got a word one time that was too economical. Now, some of y'all, I go, you're too flamboyant. You're too extravagant. It's like some people we got to pull you from here, and some people we got to pull you from here, but God's right here. And it was like, you're too economical. You're economizing too much. God's not asking you to do that. We need to be able to steward abundance in this house. We're not kids anymore. They, you know, when Generation Jesus was here, we had a bunch of poor kids with no jobs, and all Easy's friends helped pay for everything. But you know what? Right now, we can pay for stuff, and we have abundance, but we need to steward our abundance. And so we're not in poverty. If we even make a, a salary we think is not good, we're richer than 85% of the world. And God says, how are you stewarding abundance? To whom much is given, much is required. But to he who is faithful in little, I will give him much. And so I do believe that God is bringing us into a season of abundance this year. Abundance this year. We will have to steward it. But there's a mentality that stewards abundance that's different than a mentality that stewards poverty. And we need to get out of our poverty and lack phase and think, ooh, if I give too much, I won't have enough. And we need to go ahead and get into an abundant phase. Like, God, if I'm going to give and I'm going to release it... And and you're going to provide more. And so we're going to steward abundance. And I bet you have a lot you could say on that. But, you know, with the kingdom principles you've been teaching. But managing resources in a way that there's maximum return. Guess what? It's not just about money. It's about your time. Ooh, my time is not well managed sometimes. It is not. And so I'm up at 2 and 3 in the morning getting stuff done and I'm tired. And God says, wait, steward your time better. See, steward the abundance of time I've given you. Some people don't have as much time as I have. Mothers with five little children around, they don't have the time I have. Easy takes more of my time because he can't do all the outside things he used to do. He can't do all the things for himself he used to do. And so that takes some of my time. But I need to steward my abundance and steward it well. Steward your talents, your gifts. What has God given you that you can do? You just sitting there with it? You doing anything with it? Are you that one that just buries your talent? See, the talent is not just about money. It's about you, what he's given you. Well, I'm a little too scared. I don't like to talk in front of people. Get over it. I don't like to talk in front of people. Alan didn't like to talk in front of people. He's on the mic all the time. Easy one time in a meeting. He's told you before, but I'll say it again. Because when you're old, you get to say stuff over and over and over. Because repetition is the first law of learning. And if y'all haven't learned it, you're going to. But, I mean, we're in the meeting, and we're in a leadership meeting. And Easy goes, I'm going to call some of you out. And um, I'm going to have you walk to the back of the church. What? A Sunday morning? Come tell it. <laughs> so it was a Sunday morning. I'd probably been there maybe, maybe not even a year. And I'm not the person I used to be. I was really quiet. I didn't say anything. I was really just, you know, just ignore me. I'm in the corner, whatever. So Sunday morning, Easy's preaching. And he started doing, it was like ministry time. And so what he does is he starts calling people out, and he looks at me, and he goes, you, Alan. And I'm like, me, what? And he's like, you're going to, and at the time at the Shepherd's Church, uh, it was uh, the 
the sanctuary is kind of a room, and then there's a hallway where you kind of lap around. He goes, you're going to walk through here, through to the restrooms, come back to the front, and you're going to have a word, and I believe um, it was for you, Kirk, I believe. Yeah, I think so. So I'm walking. Am I praying? No, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm like, there is no way this is going to, no, this is not going to happen. But, you know, I'm just like, easy said to do it. I'm going to do it. So I walk around through, through the restrooms, come back and throw. I'm thinking, uh, God, I'm almost there and I have nothing. And I'm like, God, I'm closer and I have nothing. And I'm like, well, I guess I have nothing. So I just put my hand on here, on him, uh, on, I believe it was Kirk. I put it on his stomach. And then all of a sudden I'm praying, still nothing. And someone puts their hand on me and out just flows this word. And that was probably the first time I'd ever given, no, it was the first time I'd ever given a word in my life, only because Easy said, do it. So I obeyed. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff we just got to get over ourselves. And there's a lot of abundance in this room. There's a lot of leadership in this room. There's a lot of gifting in this room. There's a lot of wisdom in this room. And we are accountable to God for what we do with what we've been given, all of it, all of it. And so this year, we are not going to manage because we feel poor. We're going to manage because we have so much. Because we have so much. We have been given much. I believe this community is in lack. This community, I, Easy's physical therapist, the one that had him do the exercises that he didn't know he shouldn't do so many. So he's saying, oh, Mr. Easy, and he's sweet, and he's intelligent, and he's professional. And I go, look, I know you don't believe like I do, but he had a miracle. God took cancer out of him. And I go, and I know this thing is inflamed and we need a little rest and time, but I'm going to pray. And so he had his little guy that was shadowing him, and they were both. And I go, how are you raised? He goes, uh, Hindu and Sikh. I go, okay. I go, I'm going to pray. God's going to do something. And I just laid my hands on easy, and I go, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask you for this pelvis to line up. We thank you, Lord, that this SI joint, the inflammation is going to go. And I mean, they were so respectful, and they were so, and I said, and in the name of Jesus, I pray. I go, I know y'all don't believe that way, but my God heals. And so, and I go, y'all need to come to our Christian church. Y'all need to come and see what we believe. Like, I'm just going to go for it. See, I'm going to go for it. We, are in the, we don't need to go to the mission field right now. I mean, John goes to Mexico. He needs to go. If God sends you to the country, you need to go. I, I mean, I get that. But by, some of us are going, I, I can't really go to the mission field. It's in, it's in your backyard. It's, the mission field is here. What are you doing with it? I remember the time. I'll tell you. I'll end with this, and then, I'll, John, I'll turn it over to you. We went to Ireland 2001. It's the summer. We took 16 people. I was like the kindergarten teacher that before we'd leave, I'd count all 16 of my 20-somethings. And so there was 16 of us, and they'd lead worship out in the town square. They'd bring their guitars. They'd start to play. Chris had his guitar case open. People started tossing coins into it. I still have the, <laughs> I still have the coins, that, my little memento from our Ireland trip. And then we had a, a guy that would rap. Oh, he was a big hit. He'd start rapping out in the town square. We'd draw a crowd. We'd have people preach. We'd give a salvation call. We decided that a lot of the Irish people were in the bars. The kids were depressed. There was alcoholism was rampant in that country. We would go into the, the pubs, and Cammie would put a video camera on her shoulder. It didn't even have film in it. But if people think they're being filmed, you know, they'll, they'll open up and talk. And so we would go, we'd like to interview you. And they go, okay. And, and they go, we're from USA, and this girl's got a camera. She did have a camera. And we go, what's going on in your life? What do you believe about God? What do you... And we'd draw them into a conversation where we could talk about God, and we could ask if they knew Jesus. And so we got a couple of kids to say the sinner's prayer and, and to accept Jesus in this country that is really very much with, like, Catholicism and, and really some pagan worship and a lot of tradition and, and, and historical things that are not good. And the kids were committing suicide like crazy. And so we go back to the place we're staying, and somebody goes, wow, y'all are something else. Is this what y'all do at home all the time? 
So we're at home. We've been given a lot. What are we doing with what we've been given? <laughs> Stewarding abundance is what we're going to do this year.